Welcome back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Sorry for missing last week. Things were a bit busy in the Tampa Bay area, and I wasn't quite able to get an episode recorded, but we are back and joining me once again from Boston, Massachusetts, or just outside of it, is Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's the, uh, it is the most exciting part of the year for uh, all of us college hockey people, so this is going to be a good time. It is conference championship weekend, and we will get all into the the way the playoffs are shaping up in the various conferences and what it means for the NCAA tournament, which we will find out the field by next week. So this is going to be fascinating. But first, a couple of pieces of news on the coaching front. As we knew Dick Umilly was retiring at New Hampshire, New Hampshire has named his replacement. Chris, you were there. Tell us a little bit about the announcement. So they had already announced before the season. In fact, there had been a succession plan in the works for Mike Souza, who was a player for the glory years of New Hampshire hockey from the late 90s to the early 2000s. And they made four frozen fours in 98, 99, 02, 03, played in two national championship games, and were the team to beat in hockey for a couple of years. So... Uh, he played there during the glory years, and uh, he's been the assistant head, the associate head coach at New Hampshire since 2015. And uh, they were, it was a very well handled announcement. It was uh, a beautifully organized and orchestrated event held in the Whittemore Center, which is one of my favorite buildings in Hockey East. And New Hampshire handled it with class and dignity. And I got to see Coach Millie there. He's in good health. He's uh, enjoying the early fits of his retirement. And we would we wish absolutely nothing but the best for the legend, Coach Millie. And we hope that he enjoys his retirement. And all the best of luck to Mike Souza now that he is the head man in Durham. So there will be a bit of continuity, but there is still a, it, there's going to be a bit of a change still, even though it's someone from their existing staff as they transition toward, toward what sounds like based on the announcement, a little more focus on recruiting as they, they called him a master recruiter. Oh yeah. Sousa, here's the interesting thing that uh, I noticed when he gave his opening remarks. He's not a uh, he's not a high-minded speaker in the sense of, and I don't mean that derisively at all. I mean that in the sense of he doesn't speak like a college professor in the way that Jim Madigan and Jerry York do, for example. When you're in a press conference with them, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Tim, when you're in a press conference with those two coaches particularly, it feels like you're in Madigan or York class on college hockey. It feels like you are in the middle of a uh, of a college lecture. Um, Mike Souza doesn't talk like that. Souza talks like a hockey player, and you hear him speak, and you almost want to throw your skates on and hop on the ice yourself, even if you never played a second of college hockey, because, you know, you want to get in in the world that he is talking about, and he knows the talents, he knows how to bring good people. He's one of the big people that brought Benton Maz and Max Gilden. 
to uh, see me here. Really, and those are the two pieces to build around for the future of the Wildcats program. So I think it's a great hire. I think he fits in nicely. He has a lot of respect for the tradition of New Hampshire hockey. And he is very committed to bringing New Hampshire back to filling the Whittemore Center up and making sure that the place is jam-packed with people again in the way that it was when he played there. So great hire by New Hampshire, and I think they'll see some real success from him. And also with Hockey East coaches, Merrimack has parted ways with coach Mark Dennehy. He will not be returning to coach the Warriors. This is a... This is a kind of – this decision has been talked about quite a bit in the college hockey ranks because it seems odd. Dennehy did a lot for that program. A lot of people would say he saved that program at Merrimack, and now he's being let go. So what's next for Merrimack? Uh, I have no idea. I think they made the wrong choice to let him go, especially the way that they let him go. They announced – Pretty shortly after a hard loss to Boston College, um, Dennis's Warriors upset Lowell in two overtime games at UMass Lowell and went on to play BC in the Hockey East quarterfinals at 20 Forum, lost the first game one to nothing, and lost the second game, I think, four to three in overtime on a shorthanded goal by Chris Rando. It was a great goal and a great game, but they ended his career, they uh, terminated his contract shortly thereafter. And I don't think that was handled particularly well, and I don't think it was the right move to fire a guy who really helped to build Merrimack into a quality hockey team and led them to an NCAA tournament appearance in 2011 and a championship game appearance against BC. They barely lost it, they were in it. And the interesting thing about it, Dennehy's going to be fine. He will get a coaching job somewhere else when uh, when the opportunities open up. Because he was he was an assistant at Princeton and helped them to win the ECAC in '98 when he was an assistant there. He uh, restored some respectability to Fairfield before that program folded, and then he went and assisted Don Cahoon at UMass Amherst and helped the coach Jonathan Quick to uh, a couple hockey semifinal appearances and made a respectable program out of the Minutemen. He'll be fine. What I don't really get is where Merrimack goes. I don't know uh, what the future of their program holds after their best Division One coach, period. Yeah, it seems like they're they might be trying to get into a new era that they think they can move on beyond this and maybe they can, but this is the guy who brought them into respectability. They had some really good seasons under Mark Dennehy. And again, there is talk that he might have given a couple impassioned speeches that are the difference between Merrimack playing hockey and not playing hockey anymore. So it, it, it's interesting to war- wonder about what might happen next to the Merrimack program without Dennehy. Maybe they're, they think they're going to become a bigger program, or maybe it's something else. And that's, that's a sad thing to think about, but it's sad that they let him go, especially the way that they did. They, Merrimack 
they pulled a huge upset over Lowell. And that was a team that was coming in with a, at least a puncher's chance of making some waves in the hockey East playoffs. And they got stopped by Merrimack. So, and they gave Boston college all they could handle too. Oh yeah. It was, I think it's the wrong move. Ultimately. There's a very interesting piece, a, a commentary on college hockey news by Adam Woden, who points out that, uh, there's a very interesting uh, reason for why Dennis Eve was removed. I'll be very brief in reading and summing up a little bit of this. Uh, this is this is Adam Wooden in his piece commentary. Merrimack stumbles with Dennis Eve. From what I understand, at least a partial explanation is because Dennis Eve rubbed the wrong guy the wrong way. Richard Gallant is the owner of a Tier 3 junior hockey team that plays its games out of Merrimack facilities. He also happens to be the largest donor to the university in its history, in the millions of dollars. Some of that money helped the hockey program, and all of that is well and good, except things became tense between Gallant and Dennehy in recent years. Dennehy thought Gallant was trying to take over the place, and at times tried to put his foot down. So, basically, we have a tense and toxic relationship between the university's biggest donor, by far, and the head coach of a hockey program, a Division One hockey program, which is the only D1 program in any sport, by far it's the most important and most prominent sport. So if they got into a power struggle between the donor and um, and the coach, and they went with the donor on this one. At least that's what Mr. Wooden has to, uh, to offer. So that's a so that's a thing that uh, does. Seem like it could be a possibility. That uh, seems like an interesting uh, reason as to why they could have let them go. And if that is the reason why, then I'm not sure I agree with uh, Merrimack and their reasoning. So it's a mess uh, that North Andover has to deal with. I think they will draw some really good names for potential successors, but this isn't a particularly good look right now. No, and you hear stories about donors and coaches fighting like that at the biggest athletic schools in the country from time to time. You'll hear it with, for example, the football program at Oregon that's almost bankrolled by Phil Knight. You'll hear whispers from time to time that he has some idea for their program. You don't usually hear that at a smaller school, but if anything, those donors for a school like Merrimack mean even more because they don't have the resources that the larger schools that we see on, on networks occasionally that they have. So it's, it's something new to hear that at a small school, but if, if anything, it would happen more at a school like a Merrimack, we just hear it more at the larger ones. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I'm totally surprised hearing the reasoning, but I do think they still made the wrong decision because you are trying to run a Division One hockey program, and here's a coach who is highly, highly, highly respected. And the next college that comes open with a job for him, he's going to take that immediately, and he should. Or the next, co- or the next uh, program that he has uh, some real resources for and really wants to look into as being their next head coach, he'll do it. And we're just starting the uh, string of potential um, 
uh, potentially parasiting in, in the college hockey world. New Hampshire is the exception to this whole thing because they put in a succession program that I need to put, I need to note on this for New Hampshire. Their athletic director said that he's not normally a big fan of succession of succession programs, but he did it for and only for Mike Souza, and he is the only candidate that he and Coach Mini would have done that for in any capacity. So if they didn't have Mike Souza there, they would be going through the regular hiring process uh, in a way that Merrimack is doing so right now. But I think it's probably healthier for them if they have a real success in Merrimack. They also let go of associate head coach Bill Gilligan. So they, they'll have some new people to look forward to. Their other associate head coach, Curtis Carr, is going to run the day-to-day op- operations of the program until they hire a new person. And I won't be shocked if they offer uh, the head coaching job to Curtis Carr. A couple other names that they're going to throw out and try to, uh, and try to get, like uh, Christopher Mann, who's the associate head of Providence, who's been successful there, and Ben Seward at Cornell. So there's going to be there's some good names that they'll throw out and try to get, but I don't think this is a particularly good uh, situation for them to try to be stepping into. One way or another, it will be a new era for Merrimack hockey. And like you said, the coaching carousel is only getting started. There will be more talk about this in the future as other programs start to look at their coaching situation. And who knows where that will be. But a couple more uh, coaching replacements so far in college hockey. But the season still isn't over yet. We're well into the playoffs now. It is conference championship weekend. And to get to that weekend, there were a couple of monumental upsets in college hockey that will have a large impact on the NCAA tournament. I think we'll start here. Union, I think, played themselves out of the tournament by getting swept by Princeton. Princeton will go to the ECAC semifinals in what's probably the upset of the weekend. Oh, absolutely. Well, a lot of ECAC insiders that I talked to were surprised but not shocked because Union is a very good hockey team. Princeton has had the offensive potential all season long. I mean, Max Varnell, their junior forward, is the second leading scorer in the nation with 37 assists and 53 points. He's second behind Adam Gaudet of Northeastern. So, the offensive potential for Princeton has been there. The question always has been whether or not their defense would be anything more than a glorified cheese grater. And in order to get by Union, their defense was a lot more than just a glorified cheese grater. Uh, so good job, uh, Ryan Furland, Austin Shaw, and all the uh, defensive players who put in good work that hold Union. They won 3-2 and scored that third goal. On, a, on, I think, a breakaway with 10 seconds left to go in the game. Ian Schenectady at the Achilles Center to end the season, and you're right, Union College is done for the season. If they would have reached, really, if they would have reached uh, the ECAC finals in Lake Placid, I think they would pretty close to have shown up an automatic bid in the NCAA tournament, or at least would have been one of the last teams to be knocked out of the NCAA tournament. But with this loss, uh, they're not making it 
through into uh, into the next round. They're 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 done for the year, unfortunately. And that's a shame because they were making a great late push, but how it goes sometimes. Well, that's the thing about these conference championships. They sort out the NCAA tournament bubble really quickly, and they give teams that are on the outside looking in one last chance to make an argument. And we're going to be bouncing around the conferences a bit because we're doing it in, in the light of the NCAA tournament. And that's where I'm going to turn to Bowling Green and Northern Michigan. These teams are both sitting where both of them probably have to win the WCHA in order to get that automatic bid. And that would be Northern Michigan who, who, took it to three games against Bowling Green. They won on Friday, lost on Saturday, and then won on Sunday in overtime to go to the WCHA final where they will face not Minnesota State Mankato, who's been the giant of that conference all year, but Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech pulled off the upset, winning 2-1 to one on Sunday in overtime in game three to advance to the WCHA final against Northern Michigan. This is going to be big because both of these teams need to win. One of them will get in the NCAA tournament. The other one will just have had a great season. I, looking at uh, this lineup of games, when I was, I was at Harvard on Sunday for the conclusion of the Harvard Dutton series, and when I saw uh, and tracked the Michigan Tech Mankato series, I was shocked. I think that one ultimately did actually shock me more so than the Union Princeton series because I knew that Princeton had the offense. I didn't think that they would pull it off, and in terms of ranking within the conference, it's a bigger shock. But Tech pulling off the upset against Mankato, who I still think is a frozen four team at the end of all this, I I would still today put Mankato in my uh, hypothetical bracket for a frozen four. Uh, trip. They won't be a number one seed after this. I think they'll be a two or a three seed after uh, being upset. But Tech played hard, and Michigan Tech is the defending conference champions in the WCHA. So uh, you still got to give them a whole lot of respect. And that series between Bowling Green and Northern Michigan, game one was won by Northern six to one. Game two was a one nothing Bowling Green victory. In game three was a 3-2 overtime for Northern. So the WCHA continues to give us some great, great stuff. I think Bowling Green is done for the season. Northern, uh, I think that they will ultimately beat Michigan Tech, and I think that we'll have two teams from the WCHA, but I would be very hard-pressed to leave them out of the NCAA tournament after the run they've had recently. But, they, but I think you're right. They probably will be knocked out if they lose in the championship game on Saturday. It, you could make the argument that if Michigan Tech wins, the WCHA could be a three-team conference. I don't think it will be. I, I tend to believe that they're going to get overlooked, that, the, that both Bowling Green and Northern Michigan will be just on the outside looking in. But there's there are a lot of flawed arguments on that tournament bubble because they're up there with should Boston College not win Hockey East they're going to be on that same bubble they don't have a single out of conference win as opposed to these other teams so there's a lot to consider 
And there is still an off chance that the WCHA could send three teams to the NCAA tournament. And for the year they've had, that would be, that would really be appropriate, although it's extremely unlikely at this point, sadly. It would be appropriate. It would be. I think you're absolutely right that it probably won't end up happening because BC has some real history established with uh, the legacy of the program. At, at present, BC is 15th in the uh, in the pairwise. If they lose to BU, I think that would knock them just barely out. So because they they're going to play BU, which is going to be entertaining to talk about them later. But if BC loses on Friday afternoon, late early evening, then I think they're knocked out completely, which could also mean hockey is going to get two teams depending on that ensuing championship team. But so I think there is still a way you could possibly get three teams from the WCHA, and Mankato's going regardless because they've been outstanding and great all season. But I can't help but uh, think that I'd like I'd like very much to see Mankato, Tech, and Northern all in the tournament. I can only as- assume or think ultimately that we'll get Mankato and Northern going. Just that's that's at least what I would predict uh, right now. So it'd be a great time, and it would be great to try and see these WCHA teams make a run and remind people how great the WCHA is. But one can only dream of that right now. I think. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be something to see what happens with the selections, depending on how these conference tournaments shape up. And we'll get to Hockey East, which has a lot of bubble implications in and of itself, especially the game between Boston University and Boston College in a minute. But the last time we spoke, we talked about a rivalry renewed between Maine and New Hampshire. They got a playoff series, and we were excited about that. Well, it seems like we're going to get one of the great rivalries of college hockey every single week from here on out until until the tournament's over because last weekend Colorado College and Denver got together at Magnus Arena for three games to renew what had been kind of a quiet aspect of that rivalry for years until this year where Colorado College well they're not going to make the tournament they're not going to finish with a number next to their name but they had a feisty season. It looks like they might be back on the college hockey radar, and they gave Denver all they could handle taking that series to three games. And Denver, of course, won on Sunday 6-1. to one. They finally broke through. But, but Colorado College made a little bit of, a, of some waves at that rivalry. Oh, I, no question about it. I think Colorado College is one of the big upset stories of the season for the stretches of, of the year with how well they did, compared to their recent history, how well they did in the NCHC, which I think I think is still safe to say top to bottom, the hardest conference in the country, and they battled. They really did battle. And their season series against Denver was a war of attrition between two schools that I think need to be iterated for people who aren't from the state of Colorado. These teams despise each other. I mean, the, uh, the bloodbaths that these teams have are pretty famous, and the history between these teams is 
is really something to behold. So, and those first two games were tight, a two nothing game, in which Colorado College scored two goals in the third period, and a three two victory for Denver on Saturday. And with that Saturday game, Colorado College entered the third period with a two one lead where they might have just swept Denver out of the NCHC tournament. So Denver really had to pick themselves up off the mat. Troy Terry got two goals in the third period to give them the win. But that was that was quite a series and a renewal of one of the great rivalries of college hockey. So the first weekend of the conference playoffs, we had Maine and New Hampshire. The second weekend, we had Denver and Colorado College, as well as kind of an all-college sports rivalry between Michigan and Ohio State that went to overtime on Saturday as well. And now there's going to be another one of the big college hockey rivalries on Friday at 5 o'clock in the TD Garden between Boston University and Boston College and both teams Whoever loses their season might very well end here. Oh, yeah. I mean, if BU loses, they're 18th in the pairwise right now. Their season is absolutely done if they lose. So they, this is potentially the end of the line for Brandon Hickson, senior captain. The senior class, this is the last group of people who were there remaining from the ICO year when they went to the national championship game. This is potentially the last run. For and like, if they lose, it's done. And we don't know how many of the young players are going to be returning from this year's Chariot team. So this could be kind of changing the guard for the year for uh, for BU. So this is an important game for them. But for BC as well, they sit at 15th. I I think if they ultimately lose, they will fall out of the pairwise. And uh, they'll be in some real trouble. I think if BU wins outright and makes their way or wins the wins the whole conference championship, BC is done completely. But uh, they'd be one of the very last teams out. And I I was at BU for the UConn series, and I got to ask. Uh, well, I didn't ask the person, but someone asked Brandon Hickey about uh, uh, how that rivalry is, and in his words, "Oh, we hate them." Just Straight up, we hate them, and we want them to lose. You know some of the guys uh, off the ice because you play with them in Masters. But the second that you're on the ice against them, it, it's war, and we're going up against them. So, of course, we get this kind of drama. And last year, these teams met at TD Garden. It was actually the place where I met you originally, Sam. And it was a controversial game last year. And they, the, the BU players and coaches were not shy about talking uh, about how they wanted to atone for last year's slip-up in the hockey semifinals against BC. Yeah, I remember that game had a frantic finish where Boston University clawed their way back in it when they looked like they were on the mat for most of the third period. They came back late and led a surge that was possibly only stopped because a player laid down on the puck at the very end of the game and might have been a penalty. It was not called a penalty, and that would be the controversial finish to that game. And 
at the at the time they were kind of in the same position they're in now. Yeah, I mean to be fair to BC the whole way through, Joseph Wool faced twenty two shots and stopped twenty of them. So their goaltender was extraordinary through big stretches of that game. So if that final play in the final ten seconds hadn't happened, we would have just remembered that game as being being fought back and made an incredible run of it. But Joseph Wall was the best player on the ice and I wish that's the way we did remember it so that we wouldn't have another uh, controversial chapter because we had, in the aftermath of that game, we had some, we had a huge wall break out on the ice at TD Garden to close out the day. So it was, it was quite an explosive wrap up and kind of fitting considering how much BU and BC really do truly clearly get along with each other, you know? So, uh, it's going to be an exciting time at the Garden on Friday with that matchup, and it's a, it's a great time for college hockey. So I hope people are able to tune in and watch. And the nightcap will be something to observe as well between Providence and Northeastern. These have been the two highest-ranked teams in Hockey East throughout the year. It, it's been from October all the way to now, these two teams have played the most consistent hockey in the conference, and here they are facing off against each other in the semifinals at 8 o'clock. They're a late game on Friday night as well. They should be. They're the two highest-ranked teams left in this hockey's tournament, although Boston College did win the regular season title with a stellar in-conference record that they absolutely needed every game of because of the out-of-conference hole they dug themselves. And for Providence and Northeastern, both of these teams are in. They don't know no one has to worry about the bubble here, but you look at Northeastern, they're sitting seventh in the pairwise right now. Minnesota State fell a bit because they were upset in their conference tournament. And depending on what happens this weekend, Northeastern might be able to make their way to a one seed in the NCAA tournaments when the selections are handed out if they were to win Hockey East. Wow, wouldn't that be a remarkable accomplishment for a team that we didn't know exactly what to make of? I mean, offensively, I think we all knew that Garnett, Sakura, and Stevens were a pretty talented unit and uh, that we would have some real joys watching them offensively. But Caden Primo filled in and was remarkable since uh, becoming starting goaltender full-time in November. So... It'd be remarkable if they were to make it to the uh, to a one seed this year. They're ranked seventh. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Cornell might also have to lose in either the semifinal or the final in order to secure that. I I just think you need one other team to slip up in their conference tournament in order in order for that to happen. Otherwise, Northeastern would be a very high two seed. But that's at least what I would think, and I think they will ultimately beat Providence. I just think they're a more complete total package team in terms of the depth that they have. So it'd be remarkable, and it would be a perfect capper to this stretch of the season for Northeastern. You've already had great times as a Husky fan. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great year for Northeastern's program, finally getting over that beanpot hump and getting into the Hockey's tournament where – they might technically be the three seed in the tournament because of the way the regular season shaped out, but they come in as 
ostensibly favorites in the TD Garden once again, which it was a weird situation in February, and it's just as weird a situation now, even though of all the teams playing, they're the most recent conference champion, having won in 2016. This would be two hockey's titles in three years, which for all the things that we've said about Northeastern's program and how far they've come, that might be, if they were to wrap that up, that might be the cherry on top that they've won the conference twice in three years, that it's not just a one-year thing that they're setting up a program here. Now, granted, Adam Gaudet and Dylan Secura were also vital members of that 2016 team, but there's something going on at Northeastern. It's going to last, and Jim Madigan He's always had his sights set on bigger things than just the bean pot or even just hockey East. So I'm sure they're going to be prepared for this and they look tough because they've shown they can win in tournaments and they can win in that building. Oh yeah. They should be the favorites. I mean, I think they'll win the whole thing. I really do. I think that Northeastern is the team to beat in hockey East. I, uh, ostensibly they are the one seed. And at least in my mind, they are the best team going right now. And I think they've, they've got everything you need in order to win the conference. So I just, I, I think that if uh, people really do think DC is the favorite, they have not been paying attention throughout the uh, big stretches of the year uh, so far. So, uh, especially since Northeastern, the last two times they've played DC. Five to two in Conti form and three to nothing in the garden. So it would be a great year for Northeastern to finish it off and cap it off. Again, they would need someone else, either uh, St. Cloud or Cornell or someone who's, who's a top seed to slip up in uh, one of their other conference tournaments. But certainly possible for them to still get a one seed. And I think they will ultimately defeat Providence in their game. And, I think they're better than both BU and BC. We don't know how well that talent will translate because a desperate hockey team, if you'll get out of both BU and BC, can always fight for their uh, for their lives. So it's possible that uh, we could see some crazy things in the Garden this weekend. And I'm just happy that I'll get to be there this weekend. I think the scenario that would cause the most chaos when it comes to the selection would be something along the lines of BU beating BC on Friday night, Northeastern winning that tournament outright, so Northeastern beating BU on Saturday. That would make both BC and BU right there with Northern Michigan and and Bowling Green as, at least according to the pairwise, they'd be right there on that bubble. And then a lot would depend on the ECAC, because if either Princeton or Harvard wins that, that's going to make the bubble a lot smaller. It might burst it entirely. Oh, yeah. And the, the crazy thing about it is that both of those teams have the potential to cause some damage. Uh, Princeton will have a much harder matchup in the first game against Cornell just because it's Cornell and they've been incredible, and I would peg them today to be my third and fourth uh, favorite of representatives from the ECAC. So I, I, I do genuinely think that Cornell will reach their first third and fourth in 2003. It's been a while for the 
So they'll have the harder matchup. I think Harvard can absolutely beat Clarkson. They've Clarkson's been trending in the wrong direction recently. Harvard with Donato back looks pretty strong. And the ECAC is, I think you're right in your analysis, that it's the bubble determiner and potentially the bubble burster if something absurd happens this weekend, which it's like Placid. Miracles have happened there before. So, uh, you know, you never know with, uh, with these, with these end of year conference tournaments. The one tournament where I don't think any winner would be an upset is the NCHC with North Dakota taking on St. Cloud State and Minnesota Duluth taking on Denver. All of these teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament. I think that's pretty safe to say at this point. North Dakota has been up and down, but they're, of course, an extremely tough team. St. Cloud State's been the number one for a lot of the year. Duluth has, they've really proven their mettle this season. And Denver, besides a weird stretch in January where they just didn't seem to have their rhythm, Denver's been right up there. It's almost been a continuation of the campaign they had last year where they won the national championship. I think that's a safe analysis. North Dakota is the only thing close to a bubble team. They're 14th right now. So if some shenanigans happen, and if they lose to St. Cloud, which I think they will, I think St. Cloud's a better team. I think that uh, they'll be the NCHC's representative in four. But should North Dakota slip up and fall, and should some other crazy shenanigans happen, let's say, for example, that Har- a combination of Harvard winning NCHC would be winning Hockey East, uh, I think that would, and also keep in mind with these pairwise, one team is, is getting knocked out of the top 16 because Atlantic Hockey is getting a team going. So you have to be at least in the top 15. So if North Dakota slips up, and if some of these bubble teams win, then the Fighting Hawks could be on the outside looking in, which would be weird to see the NCAA tournament without North Dakota in it. But... Unless something crazy happens, I think you're generally right that we'll have uh, that we'll have all these teams from the NCHC going, and I think they would all be deserving. It'll be a, a great tournament, and of course, they're going to get a taste of the ice where the Frozen Four will be held at the Excel Energy Center in St. Paul, which is where this tournament will be taking place. So that's going to be interesting to see, and it's going to be a lot of fun because those are four really great teams and that tournament in its short history that tournament has provided some some bizarre results and some strange happenings so it'll be fun to watch what happens in the ECAC tournament you mentioned Atlantic hockey and not to overlook Atlantic hockey we're going to talk about that for a moment I think the team this weekend with the most riding on having to win their conference tournament is Mercyhurst. They have played great hockey all year. They've been at the top of that conference for the bulk of the season. They've won the conference uh, regular season championship. But if they lose at any point, they're out. There's no chance of them getting in as an at-large bid. That doesn't happen in Atlantic hockey. So between they have to beat Robert Morris and they have to beat the winner of Air Force and Kinesius to kind of validate the great season they've had, it's brutal to be an Atlantic hockey team sometimes. Oh, yeah, it's a tough life, especially when 
these are very good teams that I do think get the short end of the stick. And Mercedes especially, because there's just two crazy things that they've done. They went into Penn State and won. They split their series, but they actually won a game in Penn State. And then they went into Wisconsin and won 3-2 to two in uh, in Badgerland. So the notion that uh, Atlantic hockey teams don't really stack up is kind of poppycock in my eyes. Mercy Hurst went into Penn State, which pretty close in Pennsylvania, and won 7-4 to four and kind of ripped into shreds late. And went into the Cole Center in Madison and beat the Badgers. So they can hang with uh, with some of the top teams. They've got a tough road to go to. Like, Robert Morris has always been a hard out in these tournaments. They're regional rivals as well. Mercy Hurst uh, was riding in Erie. And um, um, Robert Morris in the Pittsburgh area on uh, Neville Island is where they play all their games. So that'll be a tough game. There's one that I'm really interested in is Air Force versus Kinesis. Because Air Force, I look at the program that they've got, and I still, I still think that uh, Frank Saratori is the coach to be. Because I think Atlantic Hockey is the one where your coaching does make ultimately the biggest difference. You have the biggest impact on the, uh, on the players you bring in, you have the biggest impact on the program at large is you are the face of it and you control it completely. And I think Saratori is the best coach going in the program, in, uh, in the conference right now. So I think that, uh, I think that, uh, between the Kinesis, Golden Griffins, who have the scoring champion from, uh, in McLaughlin for their conference, I still think Air Force would ultimately pull off that win. And I would pencil in watching the Mercyhurst Air Force Atlantic Hockey Championship game, which I think will be a great time for all involved. I agree, and Air Force has been in this position before. This is, as much as Mercyhurst had a great season and won the conference regular season title, it's been a tight conference all year, and Air Force has been right there. They were right there last year, and they made some waves in the NCAA tournament last year. So I think you're right. Atlantic Hockey gets the short end of the stick, I by every metric that they pick the NCAA tournament, you wouldn't give an at-large bid to any of these teams. But I look at Mercyhurst and I'm thinking, if I were the selection committee and I were looking at Mercyhurst, BC, BU, Northern Michigan, and Bowling Green, I'd at least have to give a second thought to Mercyhurst. I might not take them over these other teams, but I think they should be considered in there with them, even though they wouldn't be a bubble team by any real stretch. I think in real terms, I'd just as well see them play as any of those other teams. I agree with that. They're an excellent team. They they play hard. I mean, they fit the mold of pretty grindy, grinded out um, Atlantic hockey teams. So I think it'll be a very fun weekend up in Rochester to pay attention to what they end up doing. I just think Air Force knows how to win. And that's a big thing with me when it comes to picking these teams. And it is one of the reasons why I do have some trepidation with Cornell with them being such a young team all the way around. So, uh, because they're a young team and I'm not sure that they know how to win tournament games at this kind of level. Air Force, I think, does. Air Force 
was a goal and a block away from going to the Frozen Four last year. And I think they could have held their own against the Leafs. I don't think they would have beaten the Leafs, but I think they could have held their own. And I think that would have been a remarkable accomplishment for uh, an Atlanta hockey team. And they've got mostly the same team and the same coaching staff from last year. So I would pay attention to what Air Force does this weekend if, uh, if I'm going to peg my team that I'm most interested in seeing this weekend. And of course, there's the Big Ten Championship. They don't have. They've already done their their semifinals. They're down to just a championship game. It will be at Compton Ice Arena. Notre Dame has been the dominant team in a great great conference all year, and they're going to be playing Ohio State, who just scraped by, beating Michigan last weekend. So this is going to be. Well, it's not going to have that much of an implication on the NCAA tournament. The winner gets a one seed, I think. That's that's almost certain at this point, the way they've been playing. But there's a lot at stake in the Big Ten tournament. They're trying to build a conference. They're trying to build one with with its own pride and reputation. And here's their final between the two teams that have been the best teams in the conference all year. And it's interesting to note that this is one of the this is one of the two uh, conferences, the, the WCHA being the other one, that isn't playing their championship game at a neutral site. They're playing at the highest seed in their tournament. I think because last season there was a great, uh, um, there was great competition between Minnesota and Penn State and all them and all the teams that made it. And Penn State had their great run, but very few people went to Detroit to. Uh, to watch the tournament. So I'm very curious to see what the move of putting a big conference tournament like this on campus is going to mean. I mean, clear advantage to Notre Dame, I think, with this being played at the Compton Family Ice Arena in South Bend because those people are crazy in Notre Dame for their sports, and uh, this, this hockey game will be absolutely no different because... Those people get up, and Notre Dame should be. I think either one of these teams could make a Frozen Four run, and both of them would be deserving candidates. Notre Dame with a more total package uh, offense and more more total package team, and Ohio State with an incredible defensive ability. So, I think Notre Dame will end up winning this one. They've been the best all year, and Jeff Jackson is a champion as a coach in his own right. He stays at Lake State. And from meeting those Notre Dame to three frozen fours already. So uh, this should be really interesting. But I'm very curious to see if the Big Ten, beyond this year, decides to put their conference tournament in a neutral site after this game. Because I've heard some discussion that uh, there's people who want to do that to up the attendance figures and uh, make this a whole thing again. So just a curious thing to see what ends up happening here. It will be, and it's funny that it's hosted by Notre Dame because I just think to last year and the hockey semifinals and the post-game comments from Coach Jeff Jackson about leaving hockey East for the Big Ten and how he was excited to be in a bus league as opposed to a plane league and he won't have to travel as much and Notre Dame won't have to travel as much. Well, here you go. Last year at this time, you were all the way in Boston at the hockey semifinals. This year, you're at home in the Big Ten finals. That's 
that's a bit of a travel difference for Notre Dame. I think they they're happy with their move. I mean, you go from traveling a ton to traveling like you could walk to the building to play a championship game. I would I would say that is quite a huge benefit to whoever's taking part in it, and it, it would be a huge benefit to whoever ends up hosting it. It would be it would be a host an advantage to be if they were playing the hockey championship game at a game for you instead of down at at TD Garden. So I'm very curious to see if uh, other people will consider if Atlantic considers to move from Rochester to on campus or if uh, or it's just an interesting thing and I wonder if uh, other conferences will decide to make the move. I don't think that hockey for the UCAC will do so because hockey is worth at the TV Garden and the UCAC works very well at Lake Placid. So Jeff Jackson got his uh got his just rewards for uh wanting to not have to travel as much and they benefit from it as a program. They they should be the favorites to win the Big Ten tournament as well as the Big Ten regular season challenge, I think. Moving forward just a little bit as we look forward to these conference championships and, and what might come after that, what matchups are, are you hoping to see, or at least what two teams are you hoping to see in the same region together where they might have where they're going to get to play in the NCAA tournament? Because we have a lot of interconference matchups that we've been hoping for for a while, or at least I have, that I really want to see. And I don't know, I, I'm sure you're the same way. I am. The one that I look forward to that I think you're going to say you stole mine, I would be very interested to see the track meet put on between Northeastern and Penn State. I, I would be very intrigued to see the shootout that would take place. And as someone who isn't normally a big fan of run-up-the-score kind of offensive hockey. That would be fun. In fact, I think that might be the most fun game that uh, that we get to see all year. So that's the one matchup that I look at and I think, can this happen, please? That would be great. Yeah, I, I, I've been looking at that one as well. And, and the way things are going, that seems like it's increasingly a possibility with Penn State sitting currently 12th in the pairwise and Northeastern 7th. But again, should the conference tournaments shape up a certain way, they could rise as high as a top four and end up in one of the one seed so they could end up a one versus four matchup say in Worcester between Penn State and Northeastern but it's going to also be very interesting as we talk about the selection to see if the if things will be shifted around a little bit so a Northeastern or other hockey east team gets to play in Worcester or if Penn State gets to play in Allentown the more I think about it, the more I, I mean, Penn State is also hosting and organizing that tournament out in Allentown, and it's a very nice new arena, so I won't be shocked at all if they end up hosting it there, which I think that would ultimately kill the, the uh, idea of putting uh, of the matchup between Penn State and Houston, because I think, I think they will try to keep Northeastern East 
whether it be in Bridgeport, which they could drive fans to, and I think the Northeastern fans would drive down to Bridgeport to catch their team play, or to Worcester, which they have no excuse at that point, really. So uh, it's one of those things that I think we're going to have to wait and see ultimately what happens with uh, with these teams, because you have to see how the tournament shapes up, how the conference tournament shapes up, and uh, what the matchup would end up being. You, you know the other thing I'm very interested to see, just the teams matching up? I would love to see the Mavericks of Mankato match up against someone from the NCHC, be that St. Cloud, Denver, or Duluth, because I think that would be the most high-powered and most high-quality matchup of, of the opening round of the tournament. I wouldn't disagree with you there. I'd also look forward to possibly seeing Minnesota State play, well, any in-state rival, but Minnesota State and Minnesota could end up getting together, and that would be a lot of fun as well. I could see that. I uh, I could see that being a great time. I think they would keep those two out west as best as possible, or at worst, move them to Allentown. And the good people from... Mankato and the good people from St. Paul, I'm quite certain would gather their forces and would travel somewhere so that they could, uh, you know, be a part of the of the uh, of the tournament madness. So, and they love their hockey up in up in the state of hockey. So that would be a good time if we were to get it. But there's there's some way there's some things that will have to sort themselves out for season purposes for that to happen. I think. There will be there will be a lot to talk about next week. Once the brackets have been selected, we will get together and talk about the upcoming NCAA tournament and what and, and all the storylines, and there will be many. There are already a lot. And just to close out a little bit of Hobie Baker talk, because we've we've been on this for most of the year. We've been following this for a while. And just yesterday, they named the 10 finalists, the 10 candidates for the Hobie Baker Award. I guess I shouldn't say finalists because there's the Hobie hat trick that's really the finals. The nominees are Henrik Borgstrom of Denver, Ryan Donato of Harvard and also Team USA, Matthew Galaita of Cornell, Adam Gaudet of Northeastern, Dylan McLaughlin of Canisius, Kale Morris from Notre Dame, Colton Point at Colgate, Jimmy Schultz at St. Cloud State, Dylan Secura of Northeastern, and C.J. Seuss of Minnesota State Mankato. So those are your 10 remaining Hobie Baker candidates in 2018. I don't think there are any surprises on this list. No, none whatsoever. I'm very happy that Colton Point was recognized for his incredible performance. And really, Colgate had a good season when they were expected to finish, finish in last place in the ECAC. They had a very good season, very dependent on which because Colton Point was so extraordinary this year. I am very happy that they recognized him. I don't think he'll ultimately end up winning it. Um, I because his team didn't have the success that you need in order to uh, move forward. So I, I think all the candidates are completely deserving. I feel kind of uh, it's kind of a shame that Ryan Donato 
had this year to be his year when he was amazing and then went off to the Olympics. Because I think if he would have played the whole year at Harvard, one, I think the Crimson very well may have had a better record and quite possibly could have uh, made some bigger splashes in the UCAC tournament. And two, I think he'd be the Hobie Baker Award winner in a walk. And I don't think it would be that close because just the way that his numbers have been so far this season have been absolutely extraordinary. So the hat trick, because there is the Hobie hat trick, these are the 10 nominees right now. I would guess Kale Morris for his success at Notre Dame. Uh, I would guess Jimmy Schultz for his defenseman, uh, for his defensive ability from, from St. Cloud and what he's been able to do. And I would say Adam Gaudet from Northeastern. Granted, I'm trying to be a bit, a, a bit more diverse than I think others would be in their analysis of, uh, players and representing people for the hat trick, but that's what I would go with for, uh, uh, for the hat trick. I wouldn't disagree. I think I'd have Godet, Schultz, and possibly Donato. Honestly, if he were to make a, if you were to have a great weekend this weekend and Harvard wins the ECAC, I think there's still a case to be made for Ryan Donato. I, I honestly do. I, I think it's Adam Godet's award to lose at this point that Donato would have to continue to make a run in the NCAA tournament. But I think there's a case to be made for Ryan Donato being the best college hockey player this season. And I think I would put him in my Hobie hat trick at this point, along with Gaudet and Schultz. I think in terms of skill and talent, uh, I think Donato is the best player. I think there's a case. But I can't say I'm convinced by the case because you have to play the game. And simply put, through his own excellence, Donato didn't play in every possible game at this level. So that would be my only holdup. He's great. And if he were to come back next year and have the kind of performance that he had this year without the interruption of the Olympics, I would have zero hesitations at all. And I might give it to him outright. If he had these numbers or this pace of play and his, uh, his points per game, the way that he had all season, because Donato played 28 games, has 26 goals and 15 assists for 41 points and a 146 point per game performance, which, considering the team's success that they've had so far this season, is absolutely remarkable. And Donato, for points per game, is 50 minutes behind Brian Tuffner of Princeton, James Victoria of Northeastern, Max Verano. Also of Princeton, if you're wondering why they're still playing hockey right now, they've got two of the top points per game producers in the nation. And Adam Gaudet, who's at a 1-6-4 game. So if he were to keep up that pace the whole season, then I would put him in no hesitation. But because he didn't play all the games, I can't put him in my hat trick right now. Unless he does what you think he could, and he actually could, and go on a run. But as it is right now, I would put Schultz ahead of him. And that's fair enough. And I would guess by the fact that you put Morris in your Hobie hat trick that he would be your pick in a tight race for the Richter Award? Oh, it would be really tight. I mean, I'll list him as the tentative selection because I want to see 
what Galeta does with uh with ECAC tournament because I've heard a number of ECAC insiders who question whether or not Galeta should have swept all the awards as the conference's best player and best goaltender. And I can understand it because the defense that Cornell plays in front of Galeta has been simply extraordinary. And Galeta has been great in his own right, and he has got nine shutouts on the season. But the question will be borne out in the tournament whether or not it's Cornell's defense that they're playing in front of them or Galeta. So that is the only question that I would have about whether or not Galeta would deserve it. Uh, otherwise, I would give it to Morris right, just right now. I would ultimately give it to Sam Morris. With Jake Kiley also getting some consideration, but sliding in the wrong direction with Clarkson not being their star recently. So, Morris at Notre Dame for me. I can understand that. And for Chris, Lynch, Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. You're going to be at the Hockey East semifinals and finals this weekend. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall, the letter C twice, my last name Lynch, and the word Wall, all lowercase. And you can find me on Instagram at CC Lynch 16. I've got previews for InsideHockey.com coming out in a couple hours about the Atlantic, the UCAC, and the Hockey East, all the Eastern uh, Conference championship rounds. I've got all those coming out in just a couple hours after we're done recording this podcast. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. I'm your host, Tim Williams. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Wright Sports. This has been another episode of Puck University. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend who likes college hockey that there's somewhere to hear someone talk about it. Enjoy the conference semifinals and finals, ladies and gentlemen, or if you're a fan of the Big Ten and WCHA, just the conference finals. Enjoy the selection. We will be back to talk about the NCAA tournament next week. Ladies and gentlemen, keep your head up and your hits clean.